reminding us of our need for rest. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. We were not created for 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year type of work. And those of you who have tried it, you know. <laughs> you just can't keep going and going. You're not the Energizer Bunny. You can't keep going and going. You're going to fall. You're going to fall flat on your face. You and I weren't designed. We need to rest. Not only do we need to rest physically, but we also need to rest spiritually. We need to rest in the Lord at times. We need to wait upon the Lord. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You While rest is essential and usually welcomed, is keeping the Sabbath law essential for the New Testament believer today? We'll answer that and more on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Romans chapter 14 raises the issue of keeping the Sabbath, and it raises some related questions, such as, does the day we worship together as a church matter to God? Is the keeping of the Sabbath essential for today's Christian or an area of liberty? Here now to help us answer these questions is Pastor Ed. Well, maybe you've heard a few of these things directed at you. I mean, here you are, you're loving Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind. You're, you're just moving along in your Christian faith. You're growing. The Holy Spirit's ministering to you. But you may have heard things like, you're not obeying God when you fail to keep the Sabbath. Or, God never changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Which, by the way, is true. The Sabbath's never changed from Saturday to Sunday. The Sabbath still is Saturday. Sunday still is Sunday. But you may hear it as someone trying to maybe pick a fight with you or want to draw some kind of conversation out of you because they're not happy on the day that you worship. And you may hear that. You might even hear someone go to the extreme and say something like, Sunday worship is of the devil. Man, I didn't know that. And those words trouble you. Because there is a group, there are those that would hold to something that we would term Sabbath-keeping in a very legalistic way. There are many today, as they were in the early church, making diets and days the big issue. Things that you eat, don't eat, or the days that you worship, the days that you don't worship, for many, that has become a big issue in their lives. And so today, before we leave Romans 14, I thought it would be very appropriate and important for us to answer the questions surrounding the Sabbath. What about the Sabbath? Is that the only true day that God honors in his people worshiping him on the Sabbath? Is that the only time that's acceptable? Should Christians keep the Sabbath as the only day of worship, the only acceptable day? Of course, the answer to that is no. But verse 5 of Romans 14 really lays it out for us in very plain and simple terms. Paul says, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Just pause there for a second. Because wouldn't this be a great place for Paul the Apostle to insert some instruction on keeping the Sabbath? 
I mean, in the context of Romans at the time, you've got these Gentile believers and Jewish believers with different types of convictions in their life. And this would have been a great time for Paul to settle it. Hey, I recognize that there's a lot of diversity on the days that are being used to worship God. One guy esteems this day, a gal esteems that day. Everybody seems to esteem different days. Wouldn't it be great that Paul could have inserted right here, here's the day. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what does he say? He says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He says, you have a conviction on what day to worship God? Great. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Within the context of Romans chapter 14, now he's also broadening that thought and saying, look, don't lay your convictions that you have between you and the Lord, don't lay them on someone else in some heavy legalistic trip. If you have a conviction, have it between you and the Lord. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Then he explains it, verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he doesn't observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so over the years, the topic of Sabbath-keeping has become a stumbling block for many. And through a series of questions, we want to gain clarity on what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath. And the first question is, what is the Sabbath? I mean, really, what is the Sabbath? Literally, the word means to rest from labor. Or in its simplest sense, the word Sabbath literally means to rest. And in a biblical sense, it refers to a day of rest... And even farther, it refers to the sign of the old covenant between God and the children of Israel. It's a sign of the old covenant. I ask you to open to Exodus chapter 31. Would you go there with me? Exodus chapter 31. I realize not everyone may want to try to pick a fight over this doctrine. Some are just genuinely confused and don't realize what the Bible has to say. And the Bible speaks to both groups those that are confused, or those that would purposely make this an issue in your life. And we want the Bible to speak to all of us. Exodus chapter 31. The Sabbath is a sign of the old covenant. And I want you to notice this very clearly. Pick up with me in verse 12, Exodus chapter 31. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the, notice, children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Now notice verse 14 just for a second because those that would hold to a strict view of Sabbath keeping as the way to be right or righteous with God do not follow the entire law. Right? Because if they did, those that would not keep the Sabbath, what's the penalty that God lays down? Death. And fortunately, we're not seeing that today. Fortunately, we're not seeing those that say, we've got to keep the Sabbath going around and killing people for not keeping it. But let me just say, guys, that's what legalism does. Legalism has a tendency to drive you and I to pick and choose what we want to follow. And so what's easy for us, we might be more prone to do that. What's more difficult for us, we might dismiss it. And legalism is just a miserable way to live your life. With you and I having this tremendous freedom in the Lord to be led by his spirit 
It's a trap that we can fall into to move back to a set of works and regulations in our relationship with God. And then to impose that set of rules and regulations on other people that that's how they're supposed to relate to God instead of just simply being led by his spirit. And so when you look at the qualifications, by the way, the Bible is very clear on what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath. If you want to jot it down, there's clarity in Exodus chapter 35 and Leviticus chapter 23 and chapter 26. Strict guidelines for the Sabbath. We've gone in those chapters. We've studied those together as a church. You can grab the studies online. But you want to be careful, not only when it comes to the Sabbath, but with all these personal convictions. Remember, the day that you worship God by Paul, the Holy Spirit has put it into the realm of doubtful things. Or what we would use in our everyday terminology, the gray areas of Christian life. So let's say you have a strong conviction to worship God on the Sabbath. Great. Do it. We happen to have a Saturday night service. Come on out and worship with us on the Sabbath. But be careful that your conviction to worship on Saturday doesn't lead you to begin to judge people who choose to gather together to worship on Sunday. Because you can join us on Sunday as well. It's very, very important that we're careful with our personal convictions within the gray areas to help maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're not talking about absolute moral issues, which the Bible settles for us. What we're talking about is life in the gray areas. And the day in which you worship is life in the gray areas. And there are different opinions and different preferences of what day is best for you and I to worship. The Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath was a part of the old covenant. As Exodus 31 clearly teaches, it was a sign between God and the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, you can jot it down in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. We learned that the Sabbath was not given to be kept by anyone until it was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we know that the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, had a definite beginning as God gave those Ten Commandments to Moses up on Mount Sinai. It had a definite beginning. And you know what, friends? The Old Covenant had a definite end with the coming of Jesus Christ. So that now by faith in Jesus, you and I, we live in right standing before God. And so it's a sign. It's a sign that was given between God and the children of Israel. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he said... The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was made for man. You know why? Because we were not created for 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year type of work. And those of you who have tried it, you know. <laughs> you just can't keep going and going. You're not the energizer bunny. You can't keep going and going. You're going to fall. You're going to fall flat on your face. You and I weren't designed. We need to rest. Not only do we need to rest physically, but we also need to rest spiritually. We need to rest in the Lord at times. We need to wait upon the Lord so that he might renew our strength and refresh our vision. We weren't made. For 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, all-year-long activity. The Sabbath was made for man. I want you to notice, uh, you can make this note in your mind. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, it says, The Sabbath was made for man, not mankind. It was made for you and me individually, so that we wouldn't wipe ourselves out. The Sabbath was not offered to all nations. It was given only to the nation of Israel as a sign of the covenant. 
But some would go, some would go as far to say that the Sabbath now is the very seal of God. And that if you choose not to worship on the Sabbath, that you're messing around with the very seal of God. But according to the New Testament, is that really the seal of God? What is the seal of God upon your life? The Holy Spirit. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. You're right. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God, not the Sabbath. And it's really sad and unfortunate that some would say that. That the Sabbath is the very seal of God. The Bible's clear. The Sabbath is not the seal of God. It was a sign of the old covenant. It was the sign of the old covenant between God and the children of Israel. The seal of God is in... Well, look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Turn over to Ephesians 4, verse 30. We find that the seal of God is not the Sabbath day. The seal of God is the Holy Spirit on us as believers. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. The Spirit of God seals you. Jot this one down, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ... And has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the Sabbath never was the seal of God, never is the seal of God, but somewhere along the way, among believers, among the church, this false assertion that the only proper and acceptable day of worship for believers to gather was Saturday popped up, and many people believed it. There are those that would want to draw you back to a legal relationship with God. There are those that would want to bind you by the laws of the Torah in your relationship to God, superseding your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be careful. There are strict guidelines for the Mosaic Law. But not following those strict guidelines, many people think that the Sabbath-keeping means just having a worship service on a particular day but that's not what the Bible teaches at all. So the question then becomes, why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? Why across the broad spectrum of churches, gathering of Christian believers, why is there such an emphasis on worshiping on Sunday over and above worshiping on Saturday? Now, for us as a congregation, we emphasize worshiping on any day, right? I mean, technically, you and I can worship God any day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Amen? Are you still with me? Very important. We can worship God. We can gather together, whether it's a large gathering like this or a small home fellowship or one of the gatherings, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, whatever it might be, we can worship on any day of the week, any place. But when the church gathers together like we are right now on a Sunday as we did last night on a Saturday night, or we might do on a regular basis on a Wednesday night, when we gather together, why does there seem to be an emphasis upon Sunday? Well, it's very clear in the first century, right at the beginning of the church, that Sunday worship was an important part. They called it the first day of the week, or in some places, the Lord's day. You know why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead when? The first day of the week. His resurrection and that worship on that day of resurrection becomes a memorial. 
It's almost like every time we gather on a Sunday, it's like another resurrection service. Like we get to celebrate the life of Jesus Christ moving in and among us. And from a very early time, I mean, why wouldn't you think, you can jot this down in John chapter 20, but the Bible tells us in John chapter 20, after his resurrection, when Jesus began to appear to his disciples, you know what day he chose? The first day of the week. When he breathed the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, you know what day he chose? The first day of the week. When he showed himself as proof of the resurrection, he chose the first day of the week. When he proclaimed peace to them in John chapter 20, you know what day he chose? The first day of the week, right? The resurrection. When you find a day mentioned in connection with the appearances of the Lord Jesus, it's always the first day of the week in the New Testament. Turn over to Acts chapter 20 now. We find the early church beginning to worship on Sunday right away. It's almost like Jesus was first. He was trying, he was laying a precedent and a pattern for worship in his resurrection appearances. Yes, you're right. Now, some of you might say, now, wait a minute. Don't we read of Jesus appearing to the Jews on the Sabbath? Yeah. Yes, we do. Jesus did appear to the Jews on the Sabbath. But that would make sense, right? Because that's when the Jews would be out worshiping. So Jesus would appear to them on the Sabbath because that's when they would be worshiping. In the early church, there was almost a parallel of worship going on. In the beginning of the church, right there when Peter preaches in the beginning of the book of Acts, almost 3,000 get saved. 3,000 predominantly Jewish people. And those 3,000 predominant Jewish people in the Jerusalem church, they continued to worship on the Sabbath in the synagogue, except now they're worshiping not the coming Messiah, but the Messiah who's come. And it was very natural for them to continue to worship on the Sabbath, to continue to integrate. Now is that God was unfolding to them all the pictures and all the types of the Old Testament. Now they're seeing it in Jesus. And so the Jews would begin to worship on the Sabbath. But then in Acts chapter 10, God drops the gospel into the Gentile world through Cornelius. And the Gentiles, the gospel spread much faster among the Gentiles than it did among the Jews. And the Gentiles, well, they weren't really... They weren't really concerned about what days to worship. They just wanted to worship. And very early on in the Bible, notice Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We're going to read this together, and I just want you to read the first day of the week together. You ready? So now on the... When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. They're already gathering together to break bread. They're already gathering together for worship. They're already gathering together when? The first day of the week. Turn over now to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You see, as the Gentile population of the church increased, Sunday became known as the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection, a day to gather together and worship as a memorial to the resurrection, to be reminded that God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new work. It's new wine now being poured into new wineskins. If someone chose to worship on the Sabbath, great. But the believers really began to see the Lord's Day as a special day in the life of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to do the same thing in reading it together. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16, it says, On the... Oh, come on. You guys could do better than that. On the... Yeah. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that no collections be when I come. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth now. A few years later, he says, I'm taking these collections up to help the poor churches. So when you guys get together on the first day of the week, make sure you take care of it. So when I get there, we don't need to deal with it. 
First day of the week. Revelation now, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We've got one man now, isolated on the island of Patmos. His name is John. He's isolated because they want to martyr him. They want to kill him for his faith. They couldn't do it. They sent him out to Patmos. And seeing how, how could God possibly use this difficulty? You know, maybe the, Lord has, has, maybe the Lord has allowed you to be out on an island. Maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at right now. You're just struggling on an island. You feel like you're alone. What's happening in my life? I mean, you're processing the whole Bible study right now, and you're even thinking, hey, what does the Sabbath have to do with my life? You know what? It has a lot to do with your life. The very content of our Bible study may not, may not come up any time in the near future for you. This is just a time of equipping. For some of you, it's answering a lot of questions that have been posed to you, but for others, it hasn't even come up yet. It's all a time of equipping. It's all a time for you to receive. You know, I think it's a good time just to pause and commend you as a congregation, Calvary Chapel Aurora, for enduring sound doctrine. Do you know why the Bible speaks of a time? We're actually warned of a time where there'll be a group of believers that will no longer endure sound doctrine. Not only will they no longer endure sound doctrine, but then they'll choose to heap up for themselves teachers that will simply tickle their ears with all sorts of things that don't really get to the meat and to the root of his word. Just like we read in the psalm today, right? It's his testimonies that are sure. Not the words of a man, not a bunch of discussions that lead to nowhere, but the very foundation of sound doctrine is the undergirding of your life. And so it's to be commended that you're developing an appetite to endure sound doctrine. You know why, guys? Because I know that we were warned of that time to come. But I don't think we need to be warned anymore. I think we're living in those days. I think we are in the days right now where believers and unbelievers are like heaping up for themselves teachers that will just tickle their ears. And you wonder, how is it that a Bible study on the Sabbath can really be relevant to my life? You know, it's irrelevant in a lot of different ways. Number one, one of the things I'm teaching you is to go to the Word of God for answers in life. Like, everything that comes up in your life can be answered by God's Word. Whether it's answered in a particular doctrine, or it's answered in a particular passage or some principle that we learn, or some pattern in the life of Jesus, or the apostles. You know, the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And you've got to realize that everything is getting thrown your way not to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the very first thing that we learn as we go through the Bible together, even in a Bible study such as this, is that the answer to life's questions is found in the Word of God. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You're learning to seek out God's word with answers. You're learning that the answers to life's issues are found, illuminated by the Holy Spirit in his word. Another thing that you're learning and that hopefully I'll be teaching you through studies like this is that you don't have to be tripped up with tough questions. I know it's a tough question. I know how easy it is to go, oh, I'm so, I love the Lord, this is great, and someone just throw a question out, you're like, whoa. Man, what? I, I've never even thought that way, man. What is that all about? I didn't, why didn't even, I've never even seen it that way. Wow. And now here you are just kind of tooting along with the Lord, enjoying yourself, and then somebody throws a curveball at you and you get real troubled. You don't need to be troubled. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and we've been studying Romans today. If you'd like to hear this message again, visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. 
You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there, too, at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord. And here in August, it's The Third Option by Miles McPherson. It's not hard to see that racial tension is high in America today. And maybe you're wondering, is there hope for a racially divided nation? I'm glad to say there is. In the third option, Pastor Miles shares what that is and encourages the reader to rise above the issues that divide us and be part of something bigger. You'll also be challenged to fully embrace God's goodness and power. To get a copy of The Third Option for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number 877-30-GRACE. Join us next time as we study through Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 